to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Thank you, Elder Bob, for such a beautiful testimony to remind us of God's power, his global impact, and yet how personable he is to each and every one of us. And so on the last Sunday of the year, I think it's the, the uh, 29th that morning, um, we're going to have some testimonies to wrap up the year. And I know some of you have probably had a mixture of good, bad, tough, all kinds of things, but you've also seen his goodness uh, through it all. And so don't feel like you have to have a testimony that has a bow on it. It just may be this is where we are. As I was speaking to one sister this morning, her testimony is, I'm here. That's it. I'm here. And that is enough. And so on the 29th, we'll do that. And then on the first Sunday of the year, uh, we're going to speak a little vision in terms of, or we're going to ask God to reveal vision to us. So let me say that again. As the elders and I have been contemplating how he's leading us, we talked uh, before that we would have a service that is reminiscent of what we see in the book of Acts when the church in Antioch ministered to the Lord and they fasted. They ministered to the Lord and then the Lord spoke and said, separate from me Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. And we're asking God to speak to us uh, concerning the work he has for us as a church in 2019, as well as what he has for us individually. So in that service, we'll have worship, a little bit of word, more worship, uh, but we're going to come that Sunday, the first Sunday of the year, having fasted. So I'll give you more information about that maybe next Sunday and, of course, on the 29th, uh, but to fast Friday, Saturday, and coming into church that first Sunday of the year, ready to minister to God and to hear from God. Amen. Well, today, we pick up in our series on this is how we do it. God's people managing God's resources God's way. This is how we do it. Follow us as we follow Christ in terms of handling his resources his way. So the first sermon dealt with this is how he owns it. And we spend time talking about how God owns everything. We own nothing. Yet he graciously allows us the opportunity to steward his resources and even to expand them. Last week we talked about this is how we earn it, that God created us to work. Work got cursed, but work is not a curse. He created us to work because we were created in his image. Uh, but he also blesses our work. And then he shows us how to work through his son, Jesus Christ. So anything we earn it's because he graces us to earn it. And today, we're going to focus on this is how we use it. This is how we use it. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, it's good. David said your word is sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. We can go to your word for nourishment, refreshment, instruction, encouragement, conviction and teaching and everything we need for life and godliness you've given us through the Holy Spirit you've given us through your presence you've given us through your word 
What a good father you are. And now, Lord, help me to teach your word accurately. Help me to submit to your spirit as I teach your people your word. And may we have ears to hear what the spirit wants to say to each of us as well as to all of us. And may he give us the desire to live it out. We love you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. When you have it, can you say amen? Amen. Paul says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Amen. So let's exegete this verse just a little bit before we go on. Paul says, let a man so consider us. And he's speaking about himself and Apollos, who are ministers to the people in the church in Corinth. Paul says, consider us. Because earlier in chapter 3, he talks about how this church is divided. And they're behind personalities. And some people would say, I'm with Paul. Other folks would say, I'm with Apollos. Others would say, we're with Cephas. And some who are really deep would say, we're with Jesus Christ. And so when Paul says that the church is divided, he's saying, you're divided because you're spiritually immature. You guys are carnal. You're not acting with childlike faith. You're acting with childish carnality because of all these divisions among you. He goes on to say, who is Paul? And who is Apollos? He says, we are nothing, even if I may plant and Apollos may water. The one who plants and the one who waters, we are nothing. It's God who gives the increase. So he begins in chapter 4 by saying, let a man consider us, men who don't think that we're anything, but only because of the grace of God we can do anything. He says, let a man consider us as servants of Christ. So he's saying to this church, Look at your leaders, Paul and Apollos, and look through us to see the one who is leading us, Jesus Christ. Look to us, but look through us to see the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. He's the one who gives the increase. But Paul goes on to say that Apollos and I were servants of Christ. And this word servant is an interesting word in the Greek language. Um, there are several words that could be used to uh, give the word servant or slave. But this one is very unique. And what this word means is one who is an under rower. This is not the word doulos that speaks of a bond slave or a slave that has a relationship with the master. Paul refers to himself in many other passages and books of the Bible that way. But in this particular instance, speaking to a church full of high-minded, prideful, puffed-up people, he's saying that we... Paul being an apostle, and Apollos, one of his wingmen, he says to the church, we are under rowers. An under rower was a slave of the lowest degree. It's taken from people who would work in a boat or on a ship, rather. And you would have servants on top, servants, you know, somewhere in the middle area. But the serve, servants down in the hull of the ship, they were the ones who did the back-breaking work. They were on the bottom. They were the under rowers. Nobody wanted that job. 
That was a job that was like, oh, man, you got to go down there and work in the darkness. You're getting wet by the water because it's coming into the boat. You're working nonstop. You don't get a pat on the back. You get disrespected. You more than likely have to use the restroom while you're there working in the hull of that ship. You don't get a break. And Paul used that word in, in mainstream culture to describe what he and Apollos literally were in the army of the Lord. We are in the hall of the ship, the lowest galley. We are at the bottom. But here's the mercy of God. He says in verse 1, look at it again, let a man so consider us as servants or uh, those at the bottom, the under rowers of Christ, but also consider us as stewards of the mysteries of God. A steward. So I'm at the bottom serving Jesus. I'm nothing. Matter of fact, later on in chapter 4, he says that the apostles, God has displayed us as last in the procession. He even talks about how we're like the scum of the earth. And so when your leaders go low, hopefully that's contagious to make the church go low as well. Because our Savior went low. So church, go low. He says, but not only that, but he made me a steward, which means that he made me a manager of his stuff, meaning that he gave the slave a promotion. I'm just not a slave. Yes, I'm a slave, but he gave me a promotion to be a steward, a manager of his things. In the words of Drake, Paul would say, we started from the bottom, now we're here. And so I was down low, but he promoted me. So when I begin to manage his things, if I begin to get high-minded to think that I did this, I got this, I own this, you have to quickly remember where you came from, that I was at the bottom. So he says, I'm a steward. I'm a manager. And in that culture, they knew what that word meant, that it was someone who worked for an owner, someone with means. And you managed their land. You managed their property. You managed their house or houses. You managed their servants. You managed their food. You managed their money. And Paul is saying, Paul and Silas and I, we are stewards. Stewards of what? The mysteries of God. What are the mysteries of God? Well, there are things that were unknown in the Old Testament. That when those prophets were writing and speaking and people were recording their words, there were things that they were saying prophetically that they didn't even understand about the advent, the first advent of Christ, and even the second advent of Christ. Mysteries in the fact that they were unknown to the original writers, speakers, and audience. But now they are revealed or made, made known under the new covenant and with the help of the Holy Spirit. So Paul said these mysteries that God has given us, which are found in his word about Jesus and even about the church, mysteries in the word of God, I have been called to be a steward to make those things known to the people of God, starting with the church at Corinth. So the one who was in the hull of the ship is now a steward of the mysteries of God, which are found in the word of God that speak primarily about the Son of God. And then he says in verse 2, Moreover, because of that, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. With all that responsibility that I've been given, I must be faithful. 
faithful to communicate the whole counsel of the word of God, to not go beyond what is written, which is what he'll say a little bit later in chapter 4. I have a responsibility as a steward who used to be, or still is rather, a slave of God. Oh, my goodness. And God is saying it is required in stewards that they be found faithful. This same term faithful is spoken of God in chapter 1, that God is faithful. That means trustworthy, dependable, reliable, steady. You can bank on him. He won't change. He's steady. He's faithful. He's the rock. And Paul uses the same word to say that stewards are to be like God and be faithful. We're to be trustworthy. We're to be dependable. We're to be reliable. We're to be steady. But unlike God, we're imperfect. So we need grace as stewards because we fail and we fall. And so when you think of a man who's been given stewardship of the mysteries of God, which are found in the word of God to talk about the son of God and many other topics like the monies of God. So he's a steward over the word of God that speaks about the mysteries of God, which includes the monies of God. And if you don't understand the money of God, if you don't use money in a way that is honorable to God, in the way that God expects his stewards to use it, the money will use you. Did you get that? Money is simply a tool, but for so many of us, it has made us a fool. We know we can't worship God in money, but some of us sure have tried. And Paul is saying, oh, no, I've got to be a good steward, and I've got to teach the people. Because not every steward was faithful. Because it says in verse 2, a steward should be faithful. But not every steward is faithful. So when Jesus would teach his parables, so often he would talk about these wicked and lazy stewards. Many of them who would forget that they managed the stuff. They didn't own the stuff. And so if there can be a faithful steward... That can also be an unfaithful one. If that can be a righteous steward, that can be a wicked steward. And I'm asking God by his grace and by his strength that I would never fall into the category of a wicked steward or an unrighteous steward, but a faithful steward, a dependable steward, a steady steward of his stuff. Look at what the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We all need instruction about money. We all need instruction on how to live righteously for God. None of us have arrived, and this is why he says in verse 17, we need the word so that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So everything I need to know about living a life that's pleasing to God is found in the word of God. And if I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, I cannot be a disciple apart from his written word. Jesus said in John chapter 8, you are truly my disciples if you hold to my teaching. And a lot of people want to hold to Jesus, but they don't want to hold to his teaching. And I'm here to let you know it don't work like that. You fall into the realm of a professor and not a possessor. Because if you are a possessor, you are a disciple. A disciple is a learner, a student, a pupil of the master. And this is the master's textbook. 
So you've got to get in the word. I've got to get into the word so the word can get into me because there are many traditions and philosophies in the world fighting for my mind, fighting to influence my worldview. And so therefore, I must have the mind of Christ. I've got to get into the word. I've got to understand what God has to say. And when it comes to money, the Bible has a whole lot to say about money. Jesus spoke more about money than he did heaven and hell combined. Because based on how people look at money, it will determine whether they go to heaven or hell when they die. And so Jesus said, I got to get this money thing right in the people of God because where your treasure is, he said, you'll find your heart right there. We use money. But we do not let money use us. And in the Bible, we're told how to use God's money, God's way. Buckle up, put your seatbelt on. We're going to run through these things. We're going to touch on them because we're going to see that a faithful steward, and I want to be a faithful steward, and I want to hear him say, well done to me one day, that I used his gifts and his resources in a way that honored him and built his kingdom and not just padded my own pockets and I tried to hoard and hold and any of that kind of stuff. No, 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 no. I'm different. I've been born from above. I'm a, I'm a stranger down here. I'm not holding on to this stuff, but I want to redistribute this stuff for his glory. Oh, my goodness. You got to get ready because if you want to be a faithful steward, you must know that a faithful steward is going to do a few things. And, and forgive me, I'm a little nervous because I have so many financial planners in our church, so many people who handle money every day, guys who teach me things. So, brothers, I hope to make you guys proud today. Uh, but if you're going to be a faithful steward, you've got to budget it. You've got to give it. You've got to save it, spend it, enjoy it, invest it, loan it, and sometimes borrow it. Oh, I said it too fast. Let me say it one more time. A faithful steward as pertains to managing God's money and using it in a way that honors him. You will budget it. You will give it. You will save it. You will spend it. You will enjoy it. You will invest it. You will loan it and sometimes borrow it. And all of that is found in the book, the word of God that governs our lives under and through the Holy Spirit. So let's jump in this and let's hit it and quit it. Number one, a faithful steward. We'll budget it. A monthly budget is nothing more than a plan. It's a plan. Turn to your neighbor and say plan. It's a plan. That's what a budget is. It's a plan. And grandma used to say if you fail to plan, then plan to fail. A budget keeps us living within our means. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. So if you know what your means are, you will stay within your means. A monthly budget allows us to tell our money where to go so that we don't have to wonder where it went. <laughs> you ever spend some money and be like, man, I thought I had, what, what happened to all that money? And when I ask that question, my wife is here to remind me what the budget said. And I'm like, oh, that's where that went. That's where we designated that money. And so a monthly budget allows us to see how every dollar is accounted for, and it shows us what we prioritize. Have mercy. There have been times in my journey where I have uh, 
consulted various trainers, personal trainers, and folks like that. And one of the things these people like to do is get in your business. Because they're like, if you want results, we've got to be serious. So therefore, we want you to write down everything that you eat so we can track, you know, the bad stuff you're putting in, when you're putting it in, how much you're putting it in, your body. And so I had to write this stuff down. And then I had to hand it to the trainer so they could see, man, I was splurging at 12.30 at night with some uh, Kroger ice cream I shouldn't have been eating. But because I knew the accountability was coming, I didn't lie, but I said, I'm not going to eat that stuff because they're going to hold me accountable because I got to write everything down. And when you start writing stuff down, you're like, why do I keep eating that? <laughs> and when you write your budget down, you're like, why does my money keep going to that? Man, how much money is going to the things of God? I have money that keeps going to this stuff. So you write it down to see your priorities and to see how every dollar is spent. Now, here's the good thing, though. As you grow, you don't always have to rely on the budget, whether it's in your app or on your computer through a spreadsheet or, or if you're writing it down old-fashioned way. The, the more you get into it, you don't have to write every jot and tittle down no more than someone who gets in shape with their diet has to write down anymore how many calories they're taking in. But to begin, you might have to do that so that you know where these things are going. So we need to use a budget because a budget is proof that we are serious about being faithful stewards. And I know, I know that no matter what I say, some of y'all are still going to roll up out of here and not use a budget. You're going to keep rolling the dice every month, hoping that thing. That's when you pray, Lord, I just hope these ends meet. But it seems like every month they just keep getting further and further apart. God is saying, I'm sending you my, my messenger to speak to your behind one more time. Get the rhyme so you can change your grind. All right. Uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. It says, a man's heart plans his way. But the Lord directs his steps. Planning is a part of being a good steward. Using a budget makes us sit down and estimate expenses before we start spending. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, some things, when you sit down and you look at it before, you say, well, we can't afford that. So now you have to understand delayed gratification or whether or not what you want is really a need or if it's just a want. But you got to sit down first. Oh, you need some Bible? Let's go to Luke chapter 14, verse 28. Jesus said, Jesus said, there's this red letter right here. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down what? First, and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. This person began the month with money but wasn't able to finish the month with money. Why? Because they didn't sit down when they first got their money to estimate how to build the rest of the month. They just started spending and doing and then trying to put the pieces together and robbing Peter to pay Paul. So a budget, a faithful steward will budget. That's a good thing. Number two, a faithful steward will give it. Because a lot of people say, I just can't afford to give, you know. After I paid all my bills, I just can't afford to give. I get it. That's real life. But we're disciples who are saved by faith, and we live 
by faith. Pastor, what do you mean? Uh, 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 we give it Proverbs eleven twenty five. <clears throat> the Bible says that a generous man will prosper. So God wants us to give, and he wants us to be generous when we give. A faithful steward gives to God first. Now, I'm going to spend some time on that next week, okay? And y'all better be here next week too, all right? Don't, don't be like, oh, I just can't make it. All right, no, no, we're going to talk about that next week. More on giving. I'm going to focus more on giving with the wise men, how they gave their time, their talents, and their treasures to Jesus in the house. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. So I'll focus more on giving next week, but let us just at least know that God loves it when we're generous when we give and we begin our giving with him. And our giving then extends to our family, our friends, the poor, ministries, and various charities. So God wants us to give. He blesses us to be a blessing, not a hoarder or a holder. Thirdly, again, we'll hit it more next week. But a faithful steward will save it. Mm -mm -mm. Now, when I was coming up and we got married, uh, before we got married, both of us were tithers. We had that down pat. Again, I'll talk more about giving next, next week. But we didn't know a whole lot about saving. We were truly living by faith, and God provided. But I wish I had that saving piece taught to me more than just the tithing piece. You got to know how to save. Why? Because three out of four Americans live without a financial safety net. Three out of four don't have a financial safety net, meaning that you're one paycheck or one emergency away from financial disaster. So to prepare for life's unexpected expenses, we must begin now to develop a savings account or an emergency fund. My brother-in-law taught me about emergency fund because God knew what I needed. So God had a brother-in-law come in my life, and he helped us manage our resources, and he would always talk, you got to get an emergency fund, you got to get an emergency fund. So we would start putting aside, even if it was 10 bucks a month, put it into this account. That's the emergency fund in case the washer and dryer break down, uh, the, the car needs some tires, or the that blows, or this, you got to fly over here for a funeral, got to have an emergency fund. But we learned early in our marriage that when the emergency fund gets depleted from an emergency you don't have an emergency fund, and you got to rebuild the emergency fund up. And so, but you got to do it because there's always an emergency. And the best time to develop the emergency fund is now. It's today. Genesis chapter 41, 34 through 36. Look at Joseph's wisdom. Joseph just came up out of prison, said to Pharaoh, he said, let Pharaoh do this because there's this famine coming. And let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. Because the, the, the dream said that there were going to be seven bad years, but seven plentiful years. So you don't spend it all in the seven plentiful years. You save some in each of the seven plentiful years to store up. And in this case, they knew the famine was coming. We don't know when it's coming. So it would behoove us to store it up. Verse 35, and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Verse 36, then that food shall be as, re as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt that the land may not perish during the famine. Wisdom. Save up some now. 
because you will need it later. Amen. It happens. So we're going to save it. But a faithful steward, number four, will spend it. Somebody said, I wish that one was first. But a faithful steward will spend it. Yes. We spend it on our families, on our necessities, on our bills, and on our taxes. So God wants us to be able to be, quote, unquote, self-sufficient. How many of y'all ever had friends that every time you saw them, they were humming and bumming and wanted to spend your money? You're in the lunchroom, don't raise your hand, don't raise your head. person might be sitting next to you or something like that. But, you know, but there were always people that always wanted you to pay for them. Always people that, that when the check came, they turned their head and stuff like that. God wants you to be able to pay for some folks too. You, you got to spend your money well and be a blessing. And, and watch what David did in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 21. Brother Rob, you're going to love this. David is having to uh, offer a sacrifice to God to stop this plague that's coming. So the Bible says then, I can't pronounce homeboy's name. We're going to call him Ara. Then Ara said, why has my Lord the king come to his servant? And David said, the king, to buy the threshing floor from you to build an altar to the Lord. Verse 22. Now Ara said to David, let my Lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look. Here are oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing implements and the yokes of the oxen for wood. Verse 23, and all these, O king, Ara has given to the king. And Ara said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. So stop. He's like, David, I got all the stuff. Let me give it to you. You're the king, man. Let me give this stuff to you. But here's what David said. In verse 24, then the king said to Ara, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. He had money. He could spend. He didn't always need to get hooked up. To the Christians, I know salvation is free, but concert tickets cost. I know salvation is free, but every now and then you got to buy your own gas and your own food and, and buy it for somebody else sometime. But if you don't manage your resources well, you're going to always be in that place of being a receiver and not being a giver, yet alone spending to take care of yourself. David sets a pattern here. I've got money, and I'm turning down a freebie. Mm-mm-mm. That's a little axe to grind, man, because I, I know some folk, every time you go somewhere with them, they looking for the hookup. But anyway, let me keep on moving. A faithful steward will spend it on these necessities and bills and taxes, and we also spend it on our on a debt. I didn't want to say it's a cuss word for many of us. Debt. <laughs> oh, Lord. And most Americans are shackled by debt. Some of it is manageable debt and expected debt, like for your house, okay? But even still, we want to get the best interest rate we can. But that kind of debt is understandable. But we still have debts with cars and school loans and medical bills, all kinds of things. And the Bible does not forbid, listen to this, acquiring debt 
but it highly discourages it. I mean, how many people would just want to be in debt? No, we want to be free. But debt shackles us, and therefore the goal for all of us should be to get out of debt and to stay out of debt. Therefore, we have to be honest with ourselves about the debt that we acquire. And some of us need to take it a step further and say, am I responsible enough to have a credit card on me in my pocket? Mm, because I just like to buy things. I medicate pain with purchases. And I know there are some people say you should never, ever, ever, ever have a credit card. And that sometimes that can be an extreme. For some of us, we, do, we need to follow that and cut our right arm off because it offends us. But others of us can handle a credit card because we like the points we get and the airline tickets and all that stuff. And some of us will say, you know what? I want the credit card, but I don't need to carry it on me every day, so I will leave it at home on the dresser and we'll only use it in those places where we know we're going to use it. And then when we use it, we already know we're going to pay it off the next month. Can the light say amen? Hallelujah. But some of us don't need a credit card or some of us don't need to carry the credit card on us. Psalm 37, 21 says, the wicked borrows and does not repay but the righteous shows mercy and gives. What am I talking about? With those exorbitant interest rates and the things that we get into debt with, once again, we need to slow down and say, do I need to purchase this now? Is this really a need? And then if I do use my credit card or I do borrow, I'm going to pay it off next month. Or if it's a school loan, I'm going to pay it off every month. If it's a car note, I'm going to pay it every month because wicked folk borrow. And they don't pay. But I'm not wicked. I'm righteous. So if I do borrow and I do acquire debt, I'm going to pay. A faithful steward, let me get on up out of there. A faithful steward will enjoy it. Proverbs 10, 22. The blessings of the Lord makes one rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. God blesses us because he's a good father. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. He's a good father that when you ask for fish, he won't give you a snake. When you ask for bread, he won't give you a stone. He's a good father, and he gives good gifts to his children. And living here in America, we're in the upper percentile of the wealthy on the entire planet. And so we are blessed. Our father has been good to us. He just wants to know, will, can he be good through us to help those who are less fortunate? Than we are. And so when he gives you something, enjoy it. Some people don't like Christians to have anything. Some people who feel led to take a vow of poverty think every Christian should take a vow of poverty. Just because you don't want to own a house and you live in an apartment don't mean that everybody's supposed to live in an apartment and drive a raggedy car and, and wear, you know what I'm saying? Like, no, 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 no. Some of us, man, hey, we've been blessed. God has blessed us with wealth, and I'm going to enjoy it. Okay, you need more book. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. So after you, quote, unquote, pay God, pay yourself. Because you're working hard. You're working hard. And even if your allowance is $10, $20, whatever your budget, you need to have some money for yourself every now and then to buy yourself something. Because you work so hard. And so, you, you, again, your budget will help you see what you can provide for yourself. 
It's okay to buy some new clothes. Don't brag that you had them shoes since college. Don't, don't brag on that. Uh, it's okay to buy some new shoes, some new furniture. It's all right to buy a new car, whether it's new off the lot or new used. I know once you buy a new off the lot, it depreciates as soon as you move, move it one second. Uh, but some people say, you know what, I don't want the hassle of buying a used car because I don't know the history. And, man, I like not having to, to pay for repairs and pay for this. And so I'm paying for the comfort that a new car will bring. And if they can afford that, don't judge them. Oh, I got to say that one more time, one more again. Don't let anybody look down on you because of what you enjoy with what God has given you. You may want to go on vacation to Hawaii and take a 15-day cruise like some of my friends in the church, and I wish I could be in that luggage going with them on that trip. Hallelujah. You work hard. Play hard. And what you need to recuperate and to rest and to have your batteries charged is different from what someone else needs who says, we're going to do a staycation. Okay, you stay home. I'm going to Hawaii. Don't judge me. That money shit could have been used to give to the poor. Just like Judas. You ain't care nothing about the poor. <laughs> He's given us all things to enjoy. So don't, don't let anybody look down on you, man. So spend it. Number six, a faithful steward will invest it also. Jesus taught that we should invest money and even expect returns on the money we invest. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 28, the parable of the talents. So that's a kingdom principle, not only with money, but with us. What he gives us, he expects a return on what he's given. He don't want us giving it back to him the same. And so when we have money, to be like Christ, we should invest it as well. So that may mean some of us may need to hire a financial counselor. Amen. And there are many good ones in this church. You're going to need a professional to help you invest in an IRA. What is that? It's an individual retirement account. You're going to need money as you get older. Now, the Bible only allows one group of people to retire in the Bible, and those were the Levites, according to the book of Numbers. When they turned 50 years old, they were to retire and live off of what was being brought into the house of the Lord uh, because the Levites were not given land to till. All the other tribes had land, but the Lord said to the Levites, I am your allotment. So, so God says, I'll take care of you. So they're the only ones that retire. So why do I need a retirement? Because the job you're doing now, you can't keep doing because it wears on you. It wears you down. So you let that job go and retire under the government uh, uh, sanctions. I hope we still have Social Security. We, and so we retire. But we also refire in another direction because we're going to work if we're physically able till we die. It just might not be in that job that we did for 30, 40 years. Right now, I'm working with kids. I'm working with youth. I'm working with men. I'm volunteering my service. Well, I'm going to keep working, using my gifts. I'm just not doing that one anymore. And so I'm putting money aside because, again, disability, I don't know if something's going to happen to me. And I want my money to take care of me so that I don't have to burden you with taking care of me. So I'm putting it away. And we need people to help us with that because most of us don't think about the future. We're just thinking about now, getting by today. But a financial planner will help you plan because, once again, that's biblical. So we need to deal with life insurance, stocks, and bonds, and 401Ks. And don't put your family in the hole when they put you 
in the hole. <laughs> when they put you in the hole, you should have had the wherewithal to think about your family so they can grieve well and not have to worry about how to pay for the funeral expenses and all these bills you left behind. So don't put them in the hole when they put you in a hole. Thank God for my daddy. He did not have a lot of money, but he had a lot of common sense. And he took care of his financial affairs so that when he passed, my mother has been able to live, let's see, how long has it been, Dorena? 18 years on the things that my father set up for her. My God, my God. And the family still kicks in. We do what we're supposed to do for my mother. My mother's a widow. And the Bible says that the family should take care of widows so that the church doesn't have to be burdened with them. Okay? Now, when a widow doesn't have a family, the church takes care of the widow. But there are widows who have family that the family is supposed to take care of the widow. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, if you don't take care of your own, and that's in the context of widows, you are worse than an unbeliever. How do you get worse than an unbeliever? Because you're not taking care of your mama. You're expecting somebody else to do that, and you out here anyway. Oh, Lord. <laughs> you got to invest it, man. You got, your money needs to make some money for you. John Mason, can I get an amen? Ben Wolf, can I get an amen? Gary Bell, can I get an amen? Can, can I get an amen from my financial planners? Eric Merriweather, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> oh, two more. A faithful steward will loan it. <laughs> Watch this now. If you must lend money, do so without interest. Exodus 22, 25. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not charge him interest. Interest. And a lot of times God's people take advantage of other people by charging interest. So if you must lend money to a family member, lend it without interest. But can I encourage you to do this? If there's a family member that has a need and you have the means, give them the money. Don't lend them the money. Because when they miss a payment, Thanksgiving ain't going to be the same. Christmas just won't be the same. So don't, you know, give it. But if you lend it, don't charge interest. And again, God wants us to be able to be those who give and not always having to receive. And as it pertains to co-signing, another thing the Bible talks about if we're going to be good stewards. Look at Proverbs eleven fifteen. He who is surety for a stranger will suffer. But one who hates being secure, surety is secure. So surety speaks of co-signing for someone. And, and you know how that works. You put your name on the dotted line in case that person can't cover uh, the agreement. And, and the Bible discourages that. Matter of fact, later, earlier in Proverbs, it's like, if you did a deal like that, go to that person as quickly as you can and free yourself. Because, again, if that person goes down, you're going down with them. But one of the challenges is, what do you do when your children need you to co-sign for a school loan? And we have had to co-sign for my son with a school loan. And I'll be saying to that boy, you better pay that loan every month now because my credit and my name is on the line, and your name is a lot like my name. Your name is Christopher Dante Williamson. My name is Christopher Wesley Williamson. So if you late, they don't see that middle name, and they're trying to come after me. And I'm like, no, that's my boy. Boy, take care of that. Well, Dad, you know, I was going to get to it, get to it now. My name on the line. Boy, why did I do that? Anyway. <laughs> oh, finally, a faithful steward 
will sometimes borrow money. Sometimes. The Bible doesn't forbid borrowing money. Borrowing money is not a sin. But it doesn't encourage borrowing money either. So the Bible doesn't say you can't. It just says, hmm, try to be one who lends, one who gives. So try to build yourself to a place where you can be a giver and a lender and not one who borrows. But most of us, many of us, have to borrow money, especially when it comes to buying our first home. And so we know once again that I want to get out of debt, 15-year mortgage, 30-year. I want to get out as soon as I possibly can because I want to be free because there are consequences that come with borrowing money. Proverbs 22.7 says, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender or is slave to the lender. And I don't want to be a slave. I want to be free. I'm going to give you something for free today. We quote Proverbs 22, verse 6, but we don't really quote 22.7. But 22.6 and 22.7 connect. What do you mean? Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way in which he or she should go. And when he is old, they will not depart far from it. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. So as we're raising our children up, what Proverbs, what Solomon is saying, you teach them about the Lord but you also teach them about money and how to handle resources. And so you stay as far away from being a borrower and a slave as you possibly can. And so you try to teach your children to operate in cash. And if they can't buy it in cash, then it may not be a need. Oh, my goodness. I, I, it got quiet in here. But we got that's our response. Teach your children how to handle money God's way. So they won't grow up enslaved. And I tell you, the way this college thing is working, man, it is a ripoff on our kids today going to school. But thank God for these community colleges that let you go for two years for free. Some of us need to do that, but some of us are too proud to do that. Oh, uh, boy, let me move on. I can't chase that one right there. I try to get my kids to go, go to the community college. No, I want to go to this one. Oh, okay, all right. Whose name is on that? Hmm. Mine and Doreen's. Okay. <laughs> the rich often take, uh, with softies, the rich often take advantage of the poor to build their wealth. So beware of using rent to own and payday loan companies. You still paying for that toaster. <laughs> you still paying for that furniture set is broken, the leg is off the box. And you mad when you write that check. You got that big screen TV. It ain't even big now compared to the big screens. But you had to have one when they first came out. And you know, when something come out new, the price is high. I got to get that. And Renner Center, which is usually right in the neighborhoods of us, we go and get one. And we're paying interest so that by the time we pay that TV off, we didn't pay for it 10, 15 times over. And they know it. And then payday loan folks that have us on the hook. They right there in our neighborhoods. Get something now. Don't worry about what you have to pay for it later. They never let you go. And that's how many of them acquire their wealth. But whatever you borrow, Christian, be sure to be the one who pays it back as soon as possible. Romans 13, 8, the Bible says, Oh, no man, anything. That's the goal. That's the goal. So in conclusion, the Lord is looking for faithful stewards. 
He's looking for people that he can depend on and count on with his resources. I want to be one of those people that he can entrust more to because he knows that I will use it properly. And when it comes to using God's money God's way, we saw that a faithful steward will budget it, will give it, will save it, will spend it, will enjoy it, will invest it, will loan it, and sometimes borrow it. But the Lord is calling us to be faithful stewards. Earlier this month, President George Herbert Walker Bush died at the age of 94. In June of this same year, while grieving the death of his wife, Barbara, who passed in April at the age of 92, the president, who was now a widower, acquired the services of a dog. And through this uh, organization called America's Vet Dogs, these dogs that were trained to comfort war veterans, he took upon him a dog named Sully. And Sully was a yellow Labrador retriever. And Sully was specially trained to accommodate many of the president's needs. He accompanied him everywhere, even to the voting booth in November. So Sully was with the president. President was with Sully. And in a now famous photo, Sully, the golden retriever, laid by the flag-draped coffin of the 41st Commander-in-Chief of the United States of America. And so as the president's remains were in the coffin, Sully was right there on the ground in front of the coffin. And one of the members of staff from the president his name was Jim McGrath. He wrote, mission complete. That Sully stayed with the president until the president left this earth. And Sully stayed by his corpse. Mission complete. And so that picture went around and People Magazine called Sully faithful. The New York Times called Sully faithful. CNN called Sully faithful. MSNBC called Sully faithful. The New York Times saw the picture and called Sully faithful. Everybody is calling Sully faithful because Sully is doing what he was trained to do. That is to be faithful to my master. And even after serving the president, Sully was flown to Washington, D.C., where Sully will become the steward or the servant of another master because that's how Sully was trained. I mean, everybody's calling Sully faithful. But I wonder, will the Lord be able to call you and I faithful? Will he be able to say, you handled my resources the way they were supposed to be handled? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Oh, you handled Two cities, I'm going to give you ten cities in the new earth. The time to begin being a faithful steward is today. Not tomorrow, not next year, it's today. Teach me how to handle your money your way. 
Let's stand for prayer. Amen. This is good. This is so good. Jesus, you said the truth will set us free because ignorance holds us in bondage. And we all have made bad financial decisions, ones that we regret, things that we purchased, things that we got on loan for, ways we have robbed you and not blessed you and given, yet loan given bountifully and cheerfully. But I'm so glad that you're a merciful master who gives each of us another chance and another chance. And Lord, uh, your mercy leads us to repentance. This is your stuff, not ours. This is your money, not ours. And we want to use it your way that you may be glorified. So I pray that each person will be able to take from this message what they need. But above all, that we would go and study. Maybe we'll go and speak with a financial planner. Maybe we'll go buy one of the many books that's out there to help us so that we don't have to stay in this position and condition that we've been in, living above our means, stretching, robbing Peter to pay Paul, living to impress the people across the street. But teach us, God. I pray that your word started something today. I pray for good discussions at lunch and at dinner tonight and for the remainder of the week. Thank you that one more time we got to hear your word. And thank you that one more time we get to apply it. Now unto him who is able to keep us all from falling and to present us faultless before his throne with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Have a wonderful day, amen. Don't forget your children are in the fellowship hall. Have a good one. And buy somebody's lunch today, amen. <laughs>